everyone, I'm Kara Scott, and welcome to the Heart of Poker, sponsored by 888Poker, a podcast that looks into the personal side of the poker personalities we often see on our screens. I use a modified list of the questions from the 36 Questions to Fall in Love study, developed about 25 years ago by psychologists as part of an experiment to see if they could make total strangers fall in love with a kind of shortcut for getting to know someone on a deeper level fast. My guest this time is the president of Poker Power, Aaron Lydon. Coming from finance, Aaron is a longtime and outspoken advocate for closing the pay gap and the leadership gap. She's a TEDx speaker, has tackled numerous industries where the number of women have traditionally been lower, much like poker. And it's really great to have you on, Aaron. Thank you so much for making the time to join me. Thank you, Kara. I'm delighted to be here. I'm so glad. Now, Poker Power came on the scene uh, around 2020, I believe, founded Mm -hmm. by billionaire Jenny Just and her daughter, Juliet, but more like a private experiment to see Mm -hmm. how poker could impact the women in their direct circle, right? It's obvious a lot of work went on behind the scenes to get it to the powerhouse that it is now. Can you kind of describe the organization as it stands right now? Sure. Um, We have had quite a bit of growth and momentum over the last three years. And really, I I credit the pandemic, as crazy as that may sound, Mm. is that just before the pandemic, I rolled on literally three weeks before the lockdown. (laughs) And at at that time, you know, we were teaching teenagers, we were on the North Shore, Chicago, it was really still an initiative. um, And and a test, you know, could we get young girls to play poker? And could we get their moms to join us too? Mm. Fast forward to the world shutting down. And what happened is that really, took away our young population because they were so overwhelmed by their lives Mm. transitioning to a Zoom screen. But the good news for us is that that also coincided with companies around the globe looking for ways to get their employees, their clients, their prospects (laughs) to turn their cameras on and Mm -hmm. have an engaging opportunity over the screen. We we were really just perfectly timed. We built a virtual curriculum in a very short amount of time, and we started to roll it out first to financial partners, because we had a lot of uh, ins there, because Peak Six is a financial firm. Mm -hmm. Um, So we started with some of the the investment banks on Wall Street. Um, We quickly had uh, Morningstar was actually our very first corporate client. Mm -hmm. And through a series of really just being willing to say yes to everything we were asked to do from these different companies, we built a, a virtual experience for Women Plus in the workplace to learn how to think and strategize and take risk mm. like a poker player. Fast forward through the pandemic ending, thank goodness, and many of our, those same companies asked us to come on site. So today we actually have two lines for the business. We still have a very robust virtual 24-7. Uh, we teach over you know, a, a live Zoom screen with our teachers anywhere in the world. We're actually teaching in 40 countries. Wow. And then we I know. <laughs> we, we, we have um, a bespoke VIP experience for our corporate partners where our teachers fly on site and we run these flagship uh, poker learning experiences for cohorts of women, clients, prospects. Um, and, and it's working. Yeah, we have 230 yeah. corporate partners. And it is phenomenal to just see the energy that happens in the room, whether it's the, the virtual room or the real room, mm. um, when we start to teach women how to play poker. Did you expect it to be what it is right now? Like when you first kind of (laughs) came on board with it, were you thinking this is where this is headed? 
No, not at all. No. And, <laughs> and, and, and you have to understand is that I had been surrounded by guys playing poker um, yeah. throughout my career on Wall Street. I was I, There was always a poker game happening, you know, on and off the trading floor. Mm-hmm. And I had a really negative stereotype of the game because one, I didn't see anyone who looked like me. Yeah. And two, I didn't have the courage to ask to learn how to play and be included. Yeah. And so when Jenny shared the idea, I and I've known her for 25 years, and I said, you know, that's a really stupid idea, Jenny. And and she's had a lot of good ideas, but I didn't think this was it because I couldn't envision what would draw a woman to want to use her very limited free time Mm -hmm. to engage with this game, especially if her goal wasn't to get into the casino, that she wasn't really aiming to be a professional player. Mm -hmm. Um, I have since been fully converted. I now love poker. (laughs) I play a lot of poker and nothing brings me more joy than seeing that first moment that it clicks for another woman across the table, right. um, where she has this really positive experience with the game, despite all of you know the negative stereotypes that you know she she didn't envision herself doing this. Right, it is incredible. I I was lucky enough um, at some point to do some teaching as well, and mm-hmm. it was very, uh, you know, very beginner level sort of thing, and it was charity events, but it would mm-hmm. be you know, captains of industry. And there were a lot of women there as well, which I I loved. And I was always incredibly surprised when I was teaching. One of the main things I would teach is that aggression is incredibly important. Like you don't Mm want to just sort of leak all your chips away, limping and calling, try to be aggressive. And this is, you know, the kind of people that I was teaching, both male and female, were sharks in the Mm -hmm. boardroom Mm -hmm. and in finance. And they knew what they were doing in building a company and in tech. And it it was so shocking to me that people would be so much meeker with poker cards and chips in front of them. And I thought this, I mean, there's such a disconnect and it is such a great tool for teaching that kind of aggression. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously captains of industry don't really need to learn aggression, but I think for all of us, especially women, it's so important to learn something that maybe our socialization in the early years mm-hmm. has kind mm-hmm. of left out, right? And you you mentioned younger women as well. Why is it important for you to to speak to younger women. And I just want to put the caveat in there, obviously in poker, you know, we're really careful about the fact that, you know, there is gambling involved. And so Mm -hmm. it is always Mm -hmm. about, you know, being of age to play and that sort of thing. But we know the stories of all of the World Series of Poker main event winners who played in high school or who Mm -hmm. played in their college dorms and how important that was. So why is it important for girls? Yeah, we really see learning to think like a poker player as um, a way to level the playing field. Yes. And what I mean by that is that boys from a very young age, you know, five, six years old, they're on the playground. And the way that they interact is it's through competition. It's through who is the most dominant. It's through mm. kicking a ball. It's through pushing each other around. And in contrast, the girls are over there on the swings and the slide, and they're playing very mm-hmm. passively. They're pay- playing very nicely. And that's socialized across societies. You know, it's not yes. distinct to America or anywhere else. And the problem with that is that boys grow up all the way through their middle school and into the, you know, their summer camp years. And then, of course, into university with this concept of, of competition and one-upping each other. Mm-hmm. And very few girls get that experience because so many girls drop out of competitive sports once they get to high school. Mm. And so our thought is that if we can really shift the framework that women and young women are using to problem solve, um, giving them the confidence to negotiate, which they certainly mm. can learn at the poker table and giving them an opportunity to practice taking risk. And that's really what it is at a poker table because there's no money transacting yeah. our game. So you're just practicing these skills over and over and you get this immediate 
outcome of, of did you make a good decision or not a good decision mm-hmm. based on if you win that hand. And then we talk through it. That experience sort of bubble wrapped and we put a bow on it and we make it very fun and very social. <laughs> um, but it introduces young women to the way the world works. And a right. lot of young women don't actually know that this is how the world operates. And mm-hmm. if you can understand it, and even better, if you can use these skills as part of your toolkit for success, you are at the same point where the boys are, or hopefully you're actually further ahead. Mm. And when we talk about socialization, I mean, for the the little girls on the playground, we have a tendency even, I mean, there's a lot of research on this, even very progressive parents Mm -hmm. who (laughs) feel very strongly about equality, you know, among the sexes. We still, because of our own socialization, we are going to praise boys more (laughs) for aggressive behavior and we're going to admonish girls for it in the same kind of exact same behaviors. Or we're going to say, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, you're being very conciliatory. You're helping facilitate, you you know, your friends all all winning together. And these Mm -hmm. are good skills. Mm -hmm. But we praise girls for that in a way we don't tend to praise boys. So the research says. So, yeah, I, I, I think there is such a, a gap in terms of what we learn as kids and and there is a time and a space even if we're not you know obviously not using money like you say with poker to teach those skills is so important not to mention the math skills mm-hmm. that poker teaches like i have actually uh, spoken to teachers who use poker esque mm-hmm. poker ish in the classroom you know so that their kids can be interested in learning about odds and you know pot odds yes. is a great way to learn math so it, yeah it is in the whole game theory aspect of poker can mm. be taught in a very approachable and accessible way depending on you know the age of the student who is learning um, but one of the things I will say that I also have found fascinating is we teach a lot of senior cohorts so women who have done a lot of things right in their career to mm. get to that top level and still in our classes, when it comes to the moment where they really should shove their chips all in, time and time again, one of them will say, that's so many chips. Can I just keep back a few of them? And it's it's a fascinating state because these are women who you know have taken risks in their in their careers. You know, you know that they have been the only in the room many, many times. But when it comes to shoving those play chips into the middle of the pot, still they hesitate. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's really, you know, it's from you know the youngest of ages to the oldest of ages that there are behavioral changes that I see as very positive that can be learned through poker. Uh, through the last sort of 20 years uh, that I've been in poker, I've seen so many different initiatives looking to get more women in the game. And mm-hmm. a lot of the time, to be honest, it's um, uh, it's kind of a half-hearted attempt. <laughs> it might happen around a certain holiday, you know, like International Women's Day or mm-hmm. something like that. And I mean, great. I'm glad for that. But I do feel like we don't dig into the conversation enough. We tend to talk about um, ladies events or women's tournaments, we tend to talk about, oh, why aren't women involved more in poker? Is it because they're feeling uh, intimidated? And I remember a few years back asking this question, kind of posing it on social media and getting so many answers from women, middle-aged and older, especially talking about uh, the pay gap, talking mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. Uh, disposable income, talking mm-hmm. about childcare necessities at home and the unequal split for domestic labor. And, you know, so for a lot of women, if they are parents, it's harder to leave home for a weekend or a week or a month or two months in the summer Mm -hmm, to play, mm -hmm. you know, the World Series. So what do you think, 
what do you think we need to do? <laughs> I don't want to put this yeah. on you. You don't have to solve it. But I'm curious if you've kind of seen a lot of different things in the last few years that have said to you as someone who who knows different industries where there just aren't as many women, what do we need to do? Right, right. Yeah, I just spoke to this, Kara, and I, I pointed out three key gaps that that we see at Poker Power. And the first one is the knowledge gap. Um, and what I mean by that, if, if you don't know the rules and you don't know how to play, you actually are never going to sit down. Mm-hmm. And unlike a guy, you know, there's studies that have been done, unlike a guy who will apply for that promotion with 60% of the skills that are required, women don't do that. We have to have 90 or 100% before we we right. feel like we're ready to apply. We see the exact same thing in poker is, you know, I've, I've now talked to thousands of women that are learning this game with us. Mm-hmm. And I will ask them and then they'll say, why have you never played? And it's, it's as simple as I don't know how. And it's that, 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 that's the first barrier. The second barrier and the gap that we see is really around confidence in the game. So I can teach you how to play the game, but I can't, I can't actually help you be brave enough to take that very first seat. Mm. Um, it's really, really scary. Whether you're doing it in a home game, you're doing it in a casino, there are a lot of um, the, the parameters and the force field that is around the poker table keeps women from sitting down and feeling confident yeah. that they're ready to play. And then the third one you mentioned, and it's the bankroll gap. And it is significant because if women have extra money, the first place it tends to go is to their children and their families and then to their charities. And it is so unlikely for a woman to say, okay, I'm taking, you know, my extra thousand dollars and I'm going to Vegas for the weekend to play Mm -hmm. in a tournament. Like that, that's just a shocking thing for most people to hear, you know, a woman say, and and she may in fact feel guilty about it. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, one of the best things that is happening and it's happening more and more are these low level satellites so low cost you know to buy into these satellites that can mm. then if you're the winner you can then get the seed at the bigger tournaments um because very few women can actually very few women can afford 10,000 you know for the world series right. but even a thousand or 1100 is a lot so if we yeah. if we can lower the entry points we can make it feel um possible that you could play this. Um, You know, I think having women's events in particular, I love women's events and I love playing women's events. I think they're super challenging. Um, (laughs) But let's have them on the weekends because it is so much easier for a woman to spend two or three days over a weekend versus in the middle of the week. That is just a really tough thing for a mom to be able to do. Um, And then I think it's, you know, seeing more of us. You know, when I walk into any of the poker rooms in Vegas, I'm always the only one at my table but I'm also only seeing a handful or a dozen other women in that room. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's the landscape that we need to change. We need to make these poker rooms feel that women belong in them. And and we, we all know that, you know, there's, there's harassment, there's microaggressions, there's right. lots of things that happen at tables. But there are also some really nice guys that I've learned mm-hmm. a lot from by playing. And I want to, you know, one of the things that WPA does so well is, you know, their purple tie guy. Let's be outspoken about the guys who are supporting women in poker because we need more of them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And the last interview that I did, we talked a lot about how important it is to criticize the things that we love and that it does not mean that we don't love them. And that's so true about poker because the vast majority of the people that I have played poker against and like have been lovely and amazing and interesting and funny and, you know, just the way most of the people in the world are actually good. Most of the people at the poker table are as well. And so I think you're right. It's important to, it's also important to change the perception of poker for women and for the rest of the world as well. Because as you say, if you're going to go and spend a thousand dollars in, you know, the casino on 
for, for a weekend, that might be looked down on in some of your peers at the, you know, the, the school drop-off or whatnot. They might be like, oh, what are you doing, you know, gambling away your money? So how do we change the perception as well of poker as being a game that women also play? And I mean, I think we are doing that over the years. That has shifted, but there's still a ways to go. But also that it's a, a worthwhile pursuit. So how do we change the image of poker, not just to women so that they want to play, but also kind of to the outside world so there's not so much stigma attached to playing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a big issue because when you think about poker, we, we really see it. If we're not a poker player, we see it in two places. We see it in Hollywood movies where it's an opulent casino, you know, it's James Bond and someone's always getting a royal flush. <laughs> or we we envision it um, because we've seen it, you know, in the basement, and it's you know mm-hmm. it's smoky, and there's booze, and it's a bunch of guys, um, and it also feels like a space that we don't belong. Ne- neither one of those images are very welcoming to anyone who's not actually playing in those two arenas. And so yeah. I think one of the things that we've done really well at Poker Power is we've worked to reframe the game and the perspective around the game. And if Hmm. we can stop seeing it as those two things and start seeing it as, one, it's very social. You know, there is a reason why guys have Thursday night Hmm. poker nights. Two, it's a really fun game to learn. And then three, as you are playing this game, you are developing a new way of thinking and a new way of seeing the world. And you're doing it without having to put a whole lot of effort into it if you're just a recreational player. You know, a more serious player, absolutely. They are studying and they're doing solvers and they're, they're playing at a whole different level. But if we're just talking about how do we get the novice to actually want to devote time to sitting down with us, it has to be those things that I described. Welcoming, mm-hmm. fun, social, and we have to break the game down. You know, one of the things we learned early on in our curriculum, and we had women professionals who, who wrote our curriculum in the early days, and it was fantastic, but it was too dense. It was too complex, and it was intimidating. And yeah. what we have now learned over the past few years is that we're just going to teach you two or three things in each one of our lessons. And so we, the, the most basic thing is we're going to teach you to raise three times the big blind. That's all I want you to remember today, mm-hmm. and I want you to practice that. And of course, that's poker 101. And I know that. I know there's a lot of nuance to the game. But if I give you all that nuance on day one, you're not coming back for day two. Um, So we have have worked, and I think very successfully, in creating a curriculum that anyone can sit down, any age, any background, even if you've never played cards before, you can enter this arena of playing a game with us, and you can understand it and want to come back for, for learning more. Mm. And focusing on the novice, I think, is such a great Mm -hmm. way to do this because, I mean, there are a lot of people out there who aren't just women who really Mm -hmm. would like to play and Mm -hmm. might feel intimidated. And, you know, we've always asked this question, you know, how to get more women in poker. And then there's always a couple of voices who say, why do we have to? Or it's just not natural or, you know, (laughs) some of those kind of like biological differences kind of things, which is bizarre um, at this point. But the truth is, if we focus on helping novices and new players come in and feel more comfortable, we are going to get, I mean, if we do get into that kind of untapped market so far of women in poker, that's a huge poker boom. But also all of the other players who would like to come in and don't want to ask the questions because it does seem a little bit like there can be a little bit of gatekeeping around mm-hmm, knowledge mm-hmm. in terms of poker, right? I, mean, I don't know if you've encountered that. Yeah. You know, one of the things I would say, Kara, is that, and this is what I often say to beginners, is that when you're first learning this game, the poker table is a meritocracy. And what I mean Mm. by that is that 
you don't have to be the fastest, you don't have to be the tallest, you don't have to be the strongest. Yeah. And those are all characteristics that typically in competitive situations, the people who are the most in each one of those are going to be the winner. How you win in poker is how you play your cards. And so it's your mm -hmm. brain. And I think that's an incredibly empowering space to inhabit is the outcome of this game is not because, you know, I went to the gym and I can lift 100 pounds. It's mm -hmm. because I sat at this table and I had discipline and I had resilience and I had patience yeah. and I played my cards the right way. Um, that, that makes it open to anybody. Um, and I think that's actually one of the, the greatest characteristics of the game is mm. that anybody can sit down and play. So what do you think for you personally is the most enjoyable part of poker? <laughs> what really gets your heart beating? <laughs> <laughs> um, I do like to shove my chips, but I'm always terrified nice. when I do that. But honestly, for me, it's the women that I get to work with and mm. that I get to now hang out with. And I truly do mean that, that when I first started Poker Power and we brought on our advisory board, so we have Jen Shahade, who, who you know, just, mm. oh my gosh, we have Jen Shahade and yeah. we have Shuan Lu. And so two very well-known names. Yeah in the poker world. And I talk to them every single month. We have a standing call and I get to have an hour of their time. And when I was just playing at NAPT, I was texting with both of them because I was absolutely terrified that what I've got myself <laughs> into, you know, by having a day too. And, and I think it's, these women are, they're so unlike any other women I've ever met in my life. Right. And I've been around a lot of high-powered, a lot of very successful women from an education standpoint, from a career standpoint. Mm. But I, I put poker women in a whole different category. And I'm just, and I really do mean this, I'm just starting not to be very, very intimidated when I'm in the room uh -huh. with them. Um, because I know they're brilliant. I know mm -hmm. that they they bring a level of thinking around situations that is more complex than I have yet to learn how to do. And so I'm, I really admire them. And then as I've gotten to know these women, they're, they're so much fun. Like I, I don't have a lot of girlfriends <laughs> that are that much fun anymore. And they're, just, they're just so much fun to hang out with. And they're so candid and they're so real. Um, mm. And they share so much so easily um, that I just feel incredibly lucky to call some of these incredible women my friends. Oh, that is really lovely. And they are both just, they're, they're so different and they're so alike in some ways mm -hmm. as well. And I love that about poker is you get to meet all of this kind of incredibly varied, you know, cross section of humanity. And the women I've met in poker have been fast and firm friends for a really mm -hmm. long time. And I think one of the things for me that poker really does and really teaches people generally is how important it is to try and to lose. And I, I imagine that people who start companies, this is something that you know, that you mm -hmm. have, you know, so many of them are going to fail, but that doesn't mean you stop trying. But for the rest of us who don't really do that, who ha might have like nine to fives or do different mm -hmm. kinds of jobs, failure is this terrible, dirty word. And it's, you know, you think, what did I do wrong? And in poker, you can do everything right and it just doesn't mm -hmm. go your way mm -hmm. and that's okay. And that is one of the, I don't know, the traits that I can see in poker people that I really enjoy because I think it does lead to that sense of fun and that mm -hmm. sense of openness and and the willingness to try things and fail and get up and try them again without actually putting, without actually putting, you know, that pressure on yourself to do incredibly well. Yeah. 
I think you've really hit on something there. I do. Um, and, and I haven't been in a lot of, I actually have never been in environments where failure has been embraced as much as it mm. is in the poker world. Because when you do lose, the next step is you, you know, you've written down that hand history and you're going to go study it and you're going to solve it and figure out what did I, what, what could I do yeah. differently next time? That's, that's incredibly empowering um, yeah. and accepting. And that then all these people who have just played in a tournament share it all with each other. Like they keep talking mm-hmm. about it. <laughs> you know, it's very communal. The experience of winning and losing in poker feels very communal to me. Yeah. Well, we're going to actually look at some of the questions from okay. this study that I mentioned. And uh, one of the ones that I would really love to know, considering your, your career's plural, and just mm-hmm. kind of the depth of knowledge you have, what do you think it is about you and your character that really drives you towards success, the way you grew up, or just is it something innate? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up, and I, I certainly would say it was childhood. Um, I, I'm very self-confident. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't have confidence issues, and I never have. And I feel, I now know that I'm very blessed to just have been That's born that amazing. way. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But secondly, I grew up in a family where um, there was no failure. It was only high performance. And wow. that's, that was a mixed blessing because I, I performed at a very high level from a very young age, whether it was sports or academics. Um, but I also avoided anything that I wasn't very good at. And so I, I missed out on messing up is the way I look at it now, is that there are things that I wish I had tried. You know, for example, I wish I'd taken philosophy in college. I never did. Oh. I was an English major and a French minor, and I went all in on both of those. But I wish I had studied religion. I wish I had studied philosophy. Um, but it didn't fit into this larger life plan that I felt was already written. Um, I've since now as an adult, I've deviated many times and had plenty of failures. <laughs> but growing up, um, I really, I can't point to a single failure. Um, and the reason I didn't have them is because I wasn't doing things I wasn't good at. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think too that it's, um, you know, I grew up in a very loving, supporting family, but mm. I'm from New England. I'm from Maine. And I'm going to make a generalization about New England people, but <laughs> we're not very emotive and we're not huh. very emotionally connected. At least that was my experience. And so we talk about what we do, not how we feel. Uh-huh. And I'm still not very good at talking about the how I feel, but I'm really good at telling you what I did. Um, <laughs> and and I'm trying to do better with my two daughters is allowing them space to share difficult emotional things because mm. it, it's still uncomfortable to me. Yeah, I, I'm in this in the midst of that as well with my daughter and trying to make sure that she feels comfortable with it. But I know my discomfort sometimes must mm-hmm. kind of shine through. <laughs> what mm-hmm. do you do about that as a parent? How do you kind of teach something without fully embodying it yourself? Yeah, I I have a 17 and 19 year old, and I'm mm. still working on that. I think <laughs> I I've I have gotten better in time with recognizing how different my children are than I am. Um, right. and, 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 I, I, and because I basically raised them on my own, I, I had to do a lot of molding. I had to have, you know, logistically life had to work in order for me to, to get mm-hmm. up every day and, and manage. Um, and so I basically created two little carbon copies. And <laughs> as they went into, you know, sort of middle school and into high school, they started to deviate. And thank goodness they did. You know, it was miserable and I hated it and I wish, mm. wish they hadn't. But I'm so glad they did because now yeah. they have both become these humans who they were meant to be. And I, I have most days allowed them to do that. (laughs) 
Looking at your kids and yourself as a parent, if you could go back and change anything about your own upbringing, um, yeah. what would that be? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I wish I could have, and this will sound terribly sad. My parents are really good people and I love them, but yeah. you know, I wasn't able to, to cry very much. You know, I could cry mm. if I was hurt, but I couldn't cry if I was hurting, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and I think it was just the, the, the seriousness of my childhood. I felt like I had a very serious childhood. Mm. Um, and I tried really hard to give my girls more fun, but then I think back on it and I'm like, no, I was at the kitchen table with them, you know, doing the spelling words and drilling them on the math. Mm -hmm. And, you know, <laughs> you, you can't get that far away from what your, your own upbringing is. I, I have yeah. learned that. Are you teaching them poker? Yes, they both play poker. Fantastic. Um, and I, my youngest is instinctually good at poker. She's very good at math anyway, uh -huh. but she has, um, and I do think women have a secret sauce. We have lots of secret sauces, but one of them oh, yeah. is how perceptive we are. And if we lean into that at a poker table, it really can help us in our game. And my mm -hmm. youngest, Neela, um, she knows how to bluff and she knows when someone else is bluffing and she just has an instinct for it. And it, <laughs> it and, and she's super aggressive. Like I, I didn't teach her to be that aggressive. She just came, <laughs> you know, kind of pre-baked that way. So she actually, she's applying to colleges right now. She just wrote her main essay about playing poker, um, oh. which I think is fantastic because how many 17 year old girls are yeah. writing an essay around, you know, her poker experience. Wow. Well, is there anything in your life that you've really dreamed about doing, but you haven't done up until this point? Maybe you've oh. been too busy, <laughs> like yeah. incredibly focused on, on work and career. I don't know. You know, I, I, I wish I could step off the accelerator. Yeah. And, I, I, and I say that and I, I know I won't do it. Right. Um, you know, like, <laughs> I, I haven't taken a day off this year and I'm ashamed of that. Like I'm not bragging about that. I'm wow. really not. And I make sure my team does like, please take all your PTO. But yeah. even on days where I am not supposed to be online, I am plugged in and I am doing it. Yeah. And that there's a workaholic nature that I have that I don't mm -hmm. actually think is very healthy, but it's who I am. And yeah. that's preventing me from, you know, I run, I'm a runner. So I run every day. I make time for that. Um, but I don't have a lot of other hobbies. You know, I now say poker's a hobby because I really do enjoy playing it. Yeah. And certainly I work, you know, a lot, but I don't... Um, I've kind of gone to that point in my life where I think it's time for me to, to try something new. You know, I need huh. something to do once I, you know, someday I'm going to retire, I hope. And, yeah. and I need something to do. And I, I need to make space in my life for that. Mm. Well, one of the questions in the study is actually kind of how would you spend your perfect day? So let's consider mm. a day where you are disconnected. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. don't have any, like you cannot work. What mm -hmm. would it include besides running and spending, you know, obviously yeah. spending time with your girls? Um, I probably wouldn't be with my girls, actually. I would mm. be on a beach. Yeah. I would have gone for, you know, a sunrise run for sure, um, right, right along the water. Um, I would have a lot of fantastic coffee. I love coffee. Mm. Um, and, you know, watch the sun come up. Um, as I'm drinking that, like right there, you could just full stop. And that's a good day for me just to have experienced mm. that. I think if the day went on, um, I'd want to get out on the water. You know, I, I grew up on the ocean in Maine. So I, I do, mm. I love sailing. I love paddle boarding. I love being on top of the water. I don't like going under it. I'm, I'm scared of drowning, <laughs> but I love being on top of it. Um, and you know, if I had friends around, you know, maybe a round of golf, maybe a poker game, you know, something social, but recreational and relaxed. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then, you know, I really like bourbon, so I would probably be oh, into nice. the bourbon <laughs> at, at some point during that perfect day. Um, and then I'd actually sleep all night, which I never sleep all night. And ah. that, that would actually make it a supremely perfect day if I slept through the night. Yeah, that sounds like a really lovely day. I hope that <laughs> <laughs> I hope that 2024 brings you that day. I got to be honest. I think yeah. you've probably earned it at this point. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, there's the goal. There you go. Um, considering all of, that you've already done, what would you mm. think is your greatest accomplishment? And I know that's kind of a broad mm-hmm. question, but yeah. Yeah. You know, first and foremost, you know, I have two amazing daughters and I'm super mm-hmm. proud and I feel very accomplished as a mother having having raised them to this point. But if I set aside family, um, I, I think I would say my ability as an adult, not as a child, but as an adult, kind of 30 plus, um, to say yes to things that I don't know how to do. Because uh-huh. every time I say yes to things I don't know how to do, um, I get myself into situations that I have to figure out. So, you know, poker is a really good example of this is I was really reluctant to, to learn this game, run this company. I didn't, you know, for a lot of reasons I had imposter syndrome mm. and, and I said, yes, anyway. And it has turned out just fantastic. Like I'm so happy doing what I'm doing every day. Um, and there are other points in my life where, you know, I, I sense I should say no because I was over my head and I said yes instead. Um, and it's those yeses that have given me the biggest ahas and the biggest, you know, yeah. learnings. Um, so I hope, you know, I, I can continue to say yes. Um, you know, and I don't know what it's going to be next. I know that, you know, where I am today is not where I'm going to be in the future. I fully expect that. And I embrace that. Um, I like change a lot. Yeah. I, like being, I like hard things and being challenged. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I hope there are more yeses to come. Mm. You strike me, obviously, as someone who loves to like gain new abilities mm-hmm. to learn new things. If you could actually wake up tomorrow with any <laughs> new quality or ability, what would it be? Oh, I I think it's um, time travel. Oh my goodness, you'd go yeah. right to time. I love that. I would. I would because and, and I want to go forwards and backwards. Like there are okay. very dear people in my life that I want more time with, and I, I mm. can't have it. And then I really, I'm not afraid of what's coming in the future. And in fact, I'd, I'd like a preview. Um, I'd like to, huh. you know, maybe be better prepared if possible. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I just think that ability to pop up into different moments of space and time would be phenomenal. Yeah. To experience things that, you know, the, the seminal moments throughout history, I think would yeah. be... Incredible. As long as you weren't going to change anything, <laughs> you'd have to have like a, a one-way pass kind of. That's right. <laughs> just hand, just hands off the button. Yep. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So if you could know anything, because it seems like mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff out there you'd like to know, what would it be? If you could have a crystal ball that could tell you anything like past, present, future, what would you ask it? You know, I think... I'm curious what is going to be my next move, and it's both mm. personal and professional. Um, I'm at a, a real inflection point in my life. Um, you know, my youngest is heading to college. My oldest is already there. Um, so change is coming, and it's coming, you know, in a matter of months. And I keep getting asked, well, where are you going to move? And huh. I keep saying, I don't know. I just feel like it's going to appear. I really do believe that, that it's just going to show up in front of me and I'm going to know where I'm supposed to go next. 
And, you know, I, I guess I would, I would want to, I'm expecting I'm going to have the rest of my life pretty happy. You know, I hope I stay healthy for sure. Um, but I, I feel like I'm on this journey of, of good things mm. and I, I, I just want to make sure I'm heading to the place where it's going to be the best it can be. Um, yeah. but you know, I'll just have to keep saying yes, I guess, and see where it leads. But I, I am mm. curious, you know, about my personal life and what's going to, what's, what's coming next. Yeah. So if you look at your friend group and all of the different people that you've been friends yeah. with over the years. Do they have a quality in common? Is there something about people that draws you to them or is it just a lot of different mm. things? You know, there have been two times in my life where I have felt really close to a friendship group and primarily to mm. women. You know, I have lots of guy friends, but, you know, women I feel, you know, more emotionally connected to. And it was right. when, you know, after my firstborn, um, I was in a mom's group and, you know, we were very different people, but we were identical in what we were going through as, yeah. as newborn mothers. And we just were tight as can be. And we met every single Friday morning. We had a play date and, you know, had our kids all on the floor and we just, you know, Got got our got ourselves through the next week by having those touch points. Um, and then the other time in my life was during business school, and I had you know this group of six or seven girlfriends who um, I could say anything to. I could share anything. You know, business school was really hard. Interviewing was mm. really hard. There was a lot of stress during those two years, and I I really felt like I had this core group of support. And, and we've stayed, you know, those six of us, we have stayed close through all these mm. years, even though we are literally scattered across the globe and we go years without being able to physically spend time together. Um, but when I think about those two populations, um, there was an immediate level of trust. And trust is really important to me because I, it's hard for me to be vulnerable. It's hard for me mm. to um, open up to people I don't know very well. And, yeah. you know, I definitely have an, an outer shell and I always have. And I think of those are the two times where I have felt like I could really be me. And I'm hoping to find that again. Like, I think that's also part of this future self is, is finding another group of women. Maybe it'll be poker women that, you know, <laughs> I can get close to again. Yeah. It's interesting how the different seasons of our mm -hmm. life really do kind of bond us together with different groups of people. And sometimes you grow in the same direction. It's it's less likely. And so, yeah, these different parts of our lives bring all of these different people in. And there's something really beautiful about that. Um, yeah. I, I moved to Slovenia recently mm -hmm. and I am learning the language very, very, very slowly. Oh, good for and you. Uh, yeah, I figure I, I live here, you know, I, I need to be able to properly integrate and, and learn the language, but it is difficult. So I'm very grateful for online, um, you know, the ability to have online friendships that mm -hmm. for me has been such an important part of, especially the last few years that I've realized. Yeah, <laughs> thank goodness for that. But mm -hmm. uh, there we go. Um, so you had mentioned that you have a bit of a fear of uh, drowning. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering, is that kind of your biggest fear? Did anything kind of lead up to that? Or what is your biggest fear? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely drowning, um, oh. which is really strange because I know how to swim and I can, I'm a scuba diver and I snorkel and I paddleboard and, and, <laughs> and, but every time I go under, it's not the in, like getting in is okay. It's, it's putting my face under. Mm. I, I, it's, takes a lot of my, you know, mental energy to not panic. 
Um, yeah. once, once I'm down, particularly if I scuba, like getting down for me, you know, to 30 or 40 feet is really tough, but once I'm down, I'm okay. Um, <laughs> as long as I can see, you know, where the top is and where the sun is, I'm okay. Um, but I, I have always thought that if I die, it's going to be drowning, which is just horrific to me because it's not a quick death Ugh. or, you know, I, I like to drive really, really fast and I, I used oh. to race cars. So <laughs> I, I know how to drive really, really fast. Um, wow. And so, you know, it's going to be the, the tree that gets in the way of my driving. Like those are the two things that I, you know, when I foresee bad things in my life. Um, but neither, you know, I still drive really fast and I still go in the water. So. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't changed your, your decision-making process at no, all. I'm, I'm still here on both of those. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely being under the water is scary to me. Oh my goodness. Do you make yourself do it? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious if that's mm-hmm. your personality type, because that would be mine. You know, I have a fear of this, therefore I will do it. And I will just yeah. continue doing it until it either goes away or I just live with it. Well, you know, the, the reason I got into scuba diving, because it makes no sense. And it was, it's only been a few was before COVID, but not much before COVID. And um, my kid's dad loves to do it. And it was something I just wasn't a fan of. And if I'm not a fan of it, chances are my girls aren't going to get to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, I decided, you know, that he should be able to have that experience. He should be able to share something he loves with his daughters. Right. And so um, I forced myself to go through the class and, and try it as well. And, and the mistake that I made, I'm always, I'm always really good at seeing the mistakes I make afterwards. But the mistake I made is that the girls and I were in a beginner class together where you actually have to, you know, pass the test and be underwater. And we're out in the open ocean. We were in Belize. And it, it, I, I was struggling, the girls were not, but I was mostly struggling because I was so worried about them. And if I were to do this again, and anyone who's thinking about, you know, teaching their children how to scuba dive, I would say, don't be in the same class because as a parent, you are so protective and you are so worried that yeah. all I could do was focus on them. And what if something goes wrong with them? I don't know how to help them because I can't even help myself right now. <laughs> and, and so it would have been a much better experience if they had had their own instructor and I was somewhere, you know, meters and meters away from, from right. where all that was happening. <laughs> um, and it turns out that, you know, my youngest is a fish. I think she just has gills and she, she had no problems. My oldest is a little bit more like me, but she, she's very happy to be under the water mm. and she's a great swimmer. And then there's mom who's just, you know, I'm along for the ride. I'm doing the best I can. Um, <laughs> and I really feel like I was taking it for the team. No kidding. I think, and they must, they, they probably know you have a problem with water. So they, like they do. hero mom for stepping in <laughs> and doing that. <laughs> oh. yeah. Okay. Well, we're nearly at the end mm-hmm. of both, I was going to say the year, but also this interview. So considering next year, uh, mm. aside from your one perfect day off, which I really yes. hope I get to speak to you next year and you tell me yep. you actually had it and it was amazing. Okay. What else is coming up for you in the next year? Yeah. So, you know, poker power is really, we have a lot of momentum right now. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but we built a poker app and it's, it's, it's unlike anything else in the marketplace because it is gender neutral. And when I say that, I mean the colors, the interaction, how, how it feels is very gender neutral. So it feels very welcoming to anyone. And it's a teaching app. So you can go on there and you can just go through our modules, you know, our Poker 101 modules, you can play against the bots, which is actually the most popular part of our app is not where we have our games. It's, it's women playing against the bots because they want to do that on their own and get better, which is such a female characteristic is practice, practice, practice. Um, but, <laughs> but that 
app really is the future of poker power because the only way we can scale to a million, which is our our North Star every day, is we need to get a million women thinking and taking risk and negotiating yeah. with a poker player. That happens in the app. And so, you know, you're going to see more and more of this app. It really is our leading product. Um, and then, you know, when I think more personally, you know, I have a big transition coming with my youngest going away to school and me planning to move. And I I don't know. I'm kind of open. I think it's going to be a big year. Like 2024, 2025 are going to be exciting years for me. I love that. I love that. And thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about all that, you know, has come up to this point with mm-hmm. Poker Power, but coming up in the future as well. I will check out the app. I had not mm-hmm. known that. So I'm excited to see that. And yeah, thanks for being game with the more personal side of the questions yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. No, this has been great, Carrie. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been a pleasure to get to know you better as well. And uh, thank you again. And thank everybody out there for listening. I hope that you all feel like you know the person behind the cards and the organization even better now. 